So let's go ahead and pray really quick. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, there is no comfort like your comfort. There is no satisfaction like your satisfaction. There is no replenishing like your replenishing. Jesus, I think that any of us who walk through difficult times, as we all do, God, I think it just increases our compassion for the world because I don't know how they walk through these times without you, Jesus. God, we ask that that through these times that have been talked about today, that Jesus, you would use them to make us a light that shines to this world, the hope that shines to the hopeless. God, we thank you for being always strong enough always good enough. Jesus, we love you, and we just want to grow so desperately in that love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, when Michelle first talked to me about this and and her theme for it and her desire for it and just that idea of God's comfort in languishing times, I had no idea what lay ahead in the months for us, but we had just come out of a rough couple of years. And um, someone I considered to be one of my closest friends created enough drama for a nation of churches and left our church. And my husband had been diagnosed with retinopathy in one eye and had to go undergo months of treatment and surgery. And during that time, my grandma moved in with us. And my mom took her to the zoo one day and my mom fell trying to keep my grandma from falling. And my mom broke her right leg, her left ankle, bruised her hands, scraped her face. My grandma couldn't drive. Jason couldn't drive. My mom couldn't drive. I was then the chauffeur of three teenagers and two adults. Our son during that time had a fatty mass in his armpit, which had to get removed, and we had to wonder for weeks what that was. Praise God, it ended up being nothing. And a year after my husband's eye surgery, he was driving up to Yosemite to spend a couple of days in prayer, and his other eye went blind in Bakersfield due to the same retinopathy. We had taken over a church a few years ago that we absolutely love, but of course, you know, they call it transition, which is what they also call the worst time in labor, because it's just transition. (laughs) And so there's always those bumps, and and there's always, you know, wounded people that are left in kind of the the rungs of everything, and, and sometimes that creates suspicious leaders as well, and those have been interesting waters to navigate. Our high school pastor decided to turn into Absalom for a while and walk around saying, well, if I was pastor of this church, well, if I was in charge, and talk of us getting fired loomed about for a few weeks. And though that was a long couple months of a journey, finally, praise God, the high school pastor ended up getting fired. Did that sound bad? I don't mean like... (laughs) But I think I'm with wives who would all say, yeah, praise God did that one. Things had just started to settle down for us when Michelle called, and God had put the theme of flourish in my heart for this new season. We were coming out of the pain. The church was coming back to life after unimaginable circumstances that they had had to walk through. My husband could see again. His eyes were doing well. He could drive. My mom could drive. My grandma's still there, but no one was talking. (laughs) No one was talking too much 
about the youth area drama because when the high school pastor got fired, the youth, or the junior high pastor also ended up quitting. And so it was really fun. And I was talking to Michelle about reflecting on God's faithfulness in all of it and how he has been so good. And I just said, yes, I would love to talk about that. Because in every area that I just mentioned, there were pages and pages of beautiful, wonderful things that God had done. Moments where I didn't think I could take another step, and yet God picked me up on his wings like an eagle, and he carried me so that I didn't grow faint. We were satisfied, just like he said we would be. We were comforted, just like he said that we would be. And in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, Look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? Who brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name? Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And in the last few years, I have found every verse in that section to be 100% true. And a couple of weeks after I talked to Michelle with this theme on my heart, this theme of being refreshed, being replenished in those languishing times, refreshed by remembering God's faithfulness, my husband had a doctor's appointment for a bump that he had under his arm. And as you girls know, now we ended up finding out that it was a softball-sized tumor. And he was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer. And in Jeremiah 31:25, I'm sure you girls have read that multiple times already today. It says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. And the, the word languish in this verse means to suffer from being forced to remain. And I know that I'm not the only one in this room who has suffered from being forced to remain. But that's what was going on in my head the day of the diagnosis and a couple days following. I don't want this path. When Jason, my husband, told me that the doctor had called, I, I kept saying, but I don't want you to. But I don't want you to have this. Like as though something like that could, I could stop him from having it. But I didn't want it. And all of your pastor's wives' knowledge goes through your head how you know that God's going to use it. You know he's going to use it to give you compassion. You know he's going to use it so that you can minister to others. Everything that you've always said to all of the girls comes running back to your head that you know that he's going to open your eyes to new needs and new emotions. You know you're going to save doctors, save nurses. Everything that you pray over people, and in that moment, you just don't quite want to hear. And it all comes rushing through our heads, but if you're like me, a lot of times in those moments, I'm screaming in my heart, but I don't want to. I don't want to stay on this path. I don't want this to be my new journey. I don't want to know what this area of life feels like. I want nurses to be saved. I want doctors to be saved. But I kind of just want to yell at them from happy land. Hello, weary traveler. Jesus loves you. He will work it for good. 
And in these moments, you have the people who say things like, this is so good. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And you know that. You know that. But you're languishing. You're forced to remain in a path that you would not have chosen. And it's like the weight of a boulder has landed in your heart and there's no way out of it. Remember in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were with Jesus after his resurrection. And, and they said, is it now? Is it now that you're going to free us and restore our nation? Is it now? Okay, you died on the cross. You're back. Great. Now? Now are we done? And Jesus said to them, the time isn't for you to know. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The disciples were saying, like we so often say, is it done? Is it over? Are we good? Are we finished? And he's saying, you're not done. That time's not for you to know. Languish a little bit longer, but you will have all the power that you need to walk this path. I remember being pregnant with my first, who is 16 now. And I remember going to Lamaze, and I was eight months pregnant, and I don't even know, do they still even do Lamaze? Or maybe it's all on YouTube, I don't even know. And so I went to Lamaze, and and I remember so excited to be a first-time mommy and seeing the videos of the screaming women. And I got into my car, and I burst into my tears with my husband, and I said, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, you're eight months pregnant, and there's no way out but pain. And I just felt so helpless in that moment. I don't want to be a mom. I want to get her out, but I don't want to do this. I just want to avoid it. And we got there the next week, and the lady who was just adorable said, I don't agree with this video at all, but I'm state-wise legally obligated to show it to you. It's the epidural video. And I remember watching this lady, and she's looking at her monitor, and her husband says, Honey, you're having a contraction. And, oh, I am. Okay. And then they bring her her baby, and she's fine. And I got in the car, and I said, that birth, that is the birth that I want. (laughs) And I know that there's always amazing natural birthers in here, 100%, and fine to say, you're stronger than me. (laughs) I don't own that badge, because you know what? Nobody sees that badge. Anyway, (laughs) it's my personal opinion. (laughs) Epidural! (laughs) But sometimes... Sometimes birth is a little bit like life, right? There's a painful journey. Girls, we have seen so many situations, have we not? I mean, some of the women in the church who ask us to come and pray for them, I just can't even imagine how they're going to walk that path. And you watch people go through things, and you see their life, and you think, I don't ever want to go through that. I don't ever want to be in that And then there's the other lives that don't seem to have much problem besides chip nails and they're tired from packing for too many vacations. (laughs) And it's almost like you're living in Psalm 73. Well, why is it that they never have those problems? And you kind of just want to yell, that life. I want that life. The one with no pain, the one with no prodigals, the one with no diagnosis, no staff problems, no board problems, no temptations, no betrayals, no wonder of where did that person go and what did I do to them and why are they gossiping about me? The life with no chemo, the life of not wondering if you still have a job or a church or a friend or a family. And we see those people sometimes and it's like, that life, I want that life. Well, praise God, I did get that labor three times. But it's not the life that God chooses for those who he richly wants to reward with his presence. There's the pain of childbirth, but we always know that there's going to be new life 
coming from it. And there's the pain in our life, but we know that there's going to be newness, new revelations of God, new intimacy with his presence, new clinging to his word. And he replenishes the languishing soul in four ways that I've personally felt for the last couple years and even more powerfully for the last couple of months. We are replenished, firstly, through worship. We're replenished through worship. The morning that we got the call of cancer, Jesus had actually woken me up that morning with a song in my heart about him being on the throne. And he kept singing that over my soul all morning. And it felt like he said to me, I want you to listen to this song all day. Girls, do we listen to the songs that he puts in our heart? Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one he will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. There is such strength found when you and I choose to worship the mighty one in our midst, regardless of the languishing path that we are on, to remember that he's mighty, to remember that he's greater, to remember that he's so good. I remember... Every year we would drive up to Fresno for my grandma to visit my great-grandma. And she had one of those magnifying glasses that would clamp. I don't even know if they still make them. It would clamp onto the side of a desk and it was like, you know, and it was just really big. And, and I loved to lay on her floor because one of her eyes looked so big. It was like Cyclops almost. And, and I, I think about that all the time because like David says in Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me. See, when you and I, and you girls know all this, but when you and I choose to worship God in those moments, it's like a magnifying glass comes not on our problems, not in our circumstances, not in our situations, but a magnifying glass goes on him, on his greatness, on his goodness, on his strength on the peace that passes understanding that he gives, on his joy, on his mercy. And when we praise him, like Job did, naked I came, naked I'll go. One day my faith will be sight. I know my Redeemer lives. When God is magnified, there is no end to the replenishing work that God does in our languishing path. He's always good regardless of the process, regardless of the outcome. He is always good and worthy of praise. Psalm 111.2 says, How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. You and I are replenished when we become worshipers who ponder and meditate on his greatness. I love that old saying that his past faithfulness demands my present trust. He has not once ever failed us and he is worthy of worship whether we feel like it or not because he is God. Who are we anyway? Don't you just want to say like David did, what is man that you're mindful of me? The fact that he chose to save us is huge enough already. The fact that he chooses to dwell with us, it's just ununderstandable un- to me that he would choose to let his presence dwell on us. We're replenished through magnifying our hearts by worshiping him. We're replenished through reminding us his wisdom is unsearchable, that his ways are higher, that he always 
is working absolutely everything for good and that he only does wondrous things. And even in the difficult times, our lives are tiny vapors and we are headed for heaven. So we're first replenished in worship. Second, we're replenished through doing his works. We're replenished through doing his works. I'm not talking about salvation, but like James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And you know, when all of this happened, I wanted to stay home and hide. And it's really weird because usually I'm the extrovert people person. My husband would be really happy to kind of like teach from a satellite cave and broadcast it everywhere else. And I'm just like, let's take the longest way possible so we can see everybody until things like this happen. And then he wants everyone to know everything so that they can pray. And I just want to hide so I don't have to cry in front of people. I don't want to hear whose grandma's dog died of what I have. I don't want to know that I can just drink hydrogen peroxide and he'll be fine. I, somebody cornered us at church and they said that chemo is a conspiracy of the government to thin out the population. You know, when, when you do things like this, you just get to hear all the exciting stories and I'd just be really happy to not know. And I know it's selfish, but I just wanted to stay home and hide, and and maybe you girls are like that too, but isn't there just something about doing what we were created to do? Something about choosing to do what God put you on the earth to do. Something about choosing not to stay in bed and to moan, but to get up and to pray and to serve. John chapter 8, Jesus said, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I brought glory to you here, he says in John 17, here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And we know that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And Jesus says to us in those languishing moments that he wants to replenish us when we take up our crosses and follow after him. Because it's in that that we will find life and that abundantly when we keep going, when we don't stop, when we don't give up, when we don't grow weary in well-doing, when we keep pressing in, keep pressing on. Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow because we don't have the strength that we need for tomorrow. We have it for today. And I can tell you that in every moment recently, I only start to worry when I'm thinking about then, when I'm thinking about that. I have always had enough strength for today, haven't you? We're replenished through worship, we're replenished through works, and we're replenished through being willing to let others help. And I think that this might be one of the hardest things for me and for all of us in this room. One of the hardest things, I think, for women and and maybe definitely mostly for pastors' wives is to receive blessings from others because we have given our lives to be a blessing for others. We're the ones who love to serve. We're the ones who love to give up our time. We're used to making the meals. We're used to watching the babies. We're used to taking the emergency phone calls. We're used to picking people up and taking them to church, and suddenly when it's our turn to pee on the receiving end of it all, when our pastor's wife's superhero cape turns to dust, I think that might be the hardest moment for us. When everything first happened, so many precious, precious people, including some of you in this room, said, call me if you need me to do anything. 
I'll take your kids. I'll make you a meal. I'll, I'll sit with Jason and Kima, whatever you need me to do. And, and I said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. You're so sweet. Never had any intention of following through with anything that was ever offered to me. But you know, when your kids are hurting and they need friends, they need distractions, when, when you have all your appointments in Riverside and you're on your way home and you're not going to go through McDonald's with a cancer patient in your car because that just wouldn't be okay, it takes humility on our part to receive their willingness in order for us to be replenished by it. In 2 Samuel 21, there was a moment where Israel was at war with the Philistines. And it says that when David and his men were in the thick of the battle, that David became weak and exhausted. He had a descendant of a giant who had cornered him and was about to kill him. And in that moment of weakness, in that moment of exhaustion, David found himself unable to fight that giant alone. He had before. He was the giant killer. You ask people in the world, what do you know about David? Uh, he killed a giant and he had an affair. That's what people know about David. He was the giant killer. He knew that the battle was God's. He knew that he could just take that little stone and fling it at Goliath. And precious boy, I don't think it mattered where that rock was headed. God was like, grab it, throw it. Like it was God's battle. But not this time. Not this time. David was a little bit weak. He was a little bit weary. And he was a little bit exhausted. And he was cornered by this giant. And God sent Abishai to rescue him. And there are times where God lets us fight the giants. And we are all strong and almighty, and we know his presence. We know it's real, and we've got all the strength that we need to do it with. And then there's other times where we're cornered, where we're weak, where we're weary, where we are exhausted, and God sends people to help. It's still God. It's still his power. It's still his might. It's still his strength. But it comes from us being willing to let others help. God is so faithful to meet us, our needs through the people in our church. And I can't even begin to list the blessings that God has given us through them in this time. It's not their hands. It's God's hands through them. I remember being at someone's church and, and um, my husband was speaking that day. And I had a necklace on that said, be still. And I was talking to a lady, and she had just moved to that church, and she had four little kids, and she had cancer. And, and, and after talking to her, after praying with her, I just took my necklace off, and I said, you need this a lot right now. Be still. Let your hands hang down. God is here. He's going to work. And then it was maybe a week later that we got the call of what we were now walking through. And I got to church that night when my husband was going to tell the staff, and the secretary had told me that we have, we have charms that we order for Bible study. And she said, the lady accidentally sent a necklace, and I think you need it right now. And it was a little teardrop that said, his eye is on the sparrow. And she put that necklace on me, and I wore it for two weeks. And then last week, I was at a retreat, and I was telling this story a little bit. And there was a precious girl there who, on that Friday, had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so I was talking to her, and I took that necklace off, and I said, you need this right now. God's eye is on you. And I, I left that retreat, and I got to church that night. We were having a prayer meeting, and it kind of felt like, I don't have my little necklace anymore. 
my friend came who didn't know any of this and she said, I got you something and it's a necklace that says, be still. Like we're all the way back to where we were. <laughs> we have no idea the blessings that God wants to bring us through other people. We have no idea when we are willing to let others bless us, it comes straight from the hands and the heart of God. So he replenishes us through worship. He replenishes us through works. He replenishes us through the willingness of others. And we are replenished through his word during the week that we are waiting for the results. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to make it all about this. I think I process things by teaching. So here you go. You're my little audience, and now I have to tell you all my little stories. <laughs> when we were waiting for the results, my heart was growing fearful at times. And I felt like God saying, I want you to read the book of Philippians. And oh, don't you love the book of Philippians? Like if there's a book to immerse yourself in, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. This distressing sickness is not unto death. It's more needful for me to remain. I loved those verses, wrote those ones down. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And I said, okay, God, it seems like you're saying he's going to be okay. And then I felt like God said, read Acts 20. And we're pastor's wives. We know our Bible. And I thought, oh, no, that's where Paul says goodbye. I don't want to read that chapter. <laughs> but I opened it. I read it. Started reading. There's that part where Eutychus falls out of the window and dies. But then it said he was taken up alive and well. And again, God just saying, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And early in the morning of the day, we got the call reading about David and Goliath, that it looked like David was fighting Goliath. David could have thought that he was fighting Goliath, but it wasn't David's battle to fight. It was God's battle through him. Girls, I know that we know this word. I know that you teach many of you this word. I know that your husbands teach this word. I know that we know that it has saving power, healing power, restoring power. But do we immerse ourselves into it daily? Do we take time each day not to go over it for someone else, but to consume it for ourselves? Job said, I treasure your word above my daily food. Do you like not eat until you've read your Bible? Is it the most precious thing to you? Is it our joy? Is it our delight? I was having a hard time one day and reading in John and, and Jesus says, follow me. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus, because I didn't know what a chemo room looked like. And for some reason, that was the, that was the part that was kind of shaking me. I just didn't know what it looked like. I don't know what I expected. It's a room with chairs. But it just sounded so scary to me. And it was so comforting to me that day that I wasn't being pushed into that room by Jesus. But he was saying, follow me. That I wasn't walking uncharted territories, that I was just staying right behind him. His voice has all of the strengthening power that you and I need to be refreshed in our languishing. He refreshes us in worship. He refreshes us in works. We're refreshed in willingness to let others help. We're, we are refreshed in his word. And lastly, we are refreshed by remembering where we are headed. Because Why? Why all this languishing? Why all this remaining in our circumstances? Why? Is it worth it? Oh, sweet girls, you know as well as I do that heaven is coming. That we're not citizens of this world. This isn't our true home. We're just pilgrims passing through. David said in Psalm 42, My heart pants for you 
like a deer pants for water. If you and I aren't parched, then unfortunately we're not thirsty. We have to be parched to long for him in thirst. When we first moved to the desert, we've been there almost three years now. We moved in August. I guess we figured if we could do August, we could do it all. And in a lot of the girls in the church, they would go to Wet n' Wild um, on Thursdays in the summer, and I thought everybody would just stay home and close the doors and stay in the air conditioner, but they all go to Wet n' Wild, and so like a big water park, you know. And I remember my first Thursday there, standing in one of those wading pools, like the wave pools, you know, with hundreds of kids where every once in a while the siren like sounds and, and the waves start, and, and there's just mass kids everywhere. And I remember standing in that waiting pool and my kids and I had moved from the beach. We were from San Diego area before and we had not brought nearly enough water. I was waiting for for the gloomy days to hit. You know, I thought, oh, surely the ocean breeze will blow in in just a second. And I felt like I was on the face of the sun. I think it was 425 degrees that day. And I remember trying to talk to someone in the church, and I was trying to pay attention because, you know, we're the good little pastor's wives, and we don't know everybody. And and if you've moved somewhere, then all the stories kind of blend together, and you don't quite know who you're talking to or who you're talking about or what their story is. And I just remember standing in the water, and I was just kind of listening to what they said and just kind of back and forth and kids everywhere. And I literally had to stop my hand from scooping up the water and just drinking it. (laughs) Or just like burying my head in it. Because that would have been awful. (laughs) Jesus lets us languish because he wants us to thirst for him like that. Not because of anything that he needs. Not because he needs to be worshipped to feel good. But because he knows that we will only be satisfied when we're drinking deeply of him. And unfortunately, many times, we only choose to drink deeply of him when we're languishing in our soul. Because water just tastes better when you're weary and hot. It just does. Weariness heightens all of our senses to the blessings that we are receiving. I remember one day, some girls wanted to hike to a waterfall with our kids. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not an exerciser. I love Bethany and Michelle, but you will never hear me tell a gym illustration ever. <laughs> not ever. That's why I surround myself with people like them, because I feel like their health just kind of rubs on to me. Yeah, Bethany, you take pictures of yourself eating seaweed, and I'll feel like I did too. <laughs> Seriously, look on our Instagram. And I remember we finally got to this waterfall, and my kids and I are like, who hikes? What is this? And we saw this waterfall, and it was like, jump! And we just jumped and landed. And I kept thinking, you know, if you arrive to a waterfall fully refreshed, with a cold drink in your hand out of an air-conditioned car, freshly manicured, freshly pedicured, salon-fresh hair... The prospect of jumping into a waterfall might not be so great. But when you're hot, you're tired, you're weary, you're worn, there's not a second of hesitation. It's like, go, jump into the water because it's all you're longing for. And I wish that when life was beautiful, 
that we would thirst for God in that way. I do. But we just know that we don't. There's nothing like those moments where we're desperate for the word of God. Haven't you had those days where you're sitting there and you're thinking, God, if you don't speak to me today, I've got nothing to hang on to, nothing to cling to. He causes us to thirst for our true home. He gives us those days where we have to remember why it is that we press on. Those languishing days where we have to recall why it is that we do what we do. Because it's not for the pay. It's not for the people. And Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus would have quit before the cross if he was in it for the people or the fame or the glory. So why are the days of languishing supposed to be worth it for us? For the joy that is set before us. Because heaven is coming. And we have to remember that. Because the enemy wants us to feel so settled in this life. So that we'll just quietly bide our time. Quietly pass the days. But the days are evil and they need to be redeemed. And so Jesus let some of that evil touch us at times, so that we will remember that heaven is coming, that these days are to be redeemed. And can't you attest that truly the rewards in this life are so much greater than anything that we could ever hang on to? I can't even imagine what it'll be like in the next. Psalm 84 tells us to have our hearts set on pilgrimage, Home is coming. It's not forever. In the end, we will all declare like Paul did in Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I just got done teaching through 2 Corinthians. And you know, there's that part in chapter 12 where, where it seems like it was Paul who got the vision of heaven. And that vision happened before Romans was written. And I just kind of sometimes wonder if God didn't let Paul taste a little bit of heaven so that he could make it through everything that he was going to have to make it through. Girls, we will say like Paul that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared with what's coming. In closing, Psalm 121 has been so special to my heart right now, that our help doesn't come from the mountains, that our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Because you know what? There's mountains in our life, and not, not those mountains that need to be made into a plane, like that's another story, but those mountains that seem so strong, that seem so sturdy, that seem so mighty. And sometimes we can think that our help comes from them, but you know, the interesting thing, and maybe you found this to be true about walking through something like this, is that suddenly those strong, sturdy mountains that have always been there for you kind of get quiet and disappear. You know, it's so interesting the way that people respond and react when you're walking through something hard. And some, I've just been wondering the last couple of weeks if God doesn't let those strong mountains 
seem so helpless in your life because he wants to remind us that it's him. That chapter goes on to say that he is our shade. And in the desert, you long for shade. <laughs> I have so many analogies in the last three years that I never had before. God is the shade at our right hand. He wants it to be him. Because we can get help from those mountains, but they can't help us as much as he does. And sometimes he just lets those mountains crumble so that we will call on him because the sun still scorches down. Languishing paths still happen. But God will always replenish. Always replenish. And Lord, we thank you for being the one who always replenishes us. Jesus, I just want to lift up these girls and maybe girls, you're in here and, and you're going through a languishing time, path that you wouldn't have chosen. And I think we could all say this at some time or another, but if that's you today, would you just raise up your hand? I'm raising my hand. Jesus, would you be our protector? our strong tower, our rock. God, we just want to personally thank you for making your word tell us how strong that you are because we need your strength, how steady you are because, Jesus, we sure feel unstable. That, Lord, there's days where maybe we've leaned into our husband's protection and covering a little bit too much and, and you want to shake that up a little bit to remind us that you are our protection that you are our covering God you're so faithful I know we could we could fill days by declaring your faithfulness let us be those who magnify you in our praise who ponder your good things. God, who, who sing the songs that you put in our hearts, who find strength and refuge and shelter in your word and who in doing what you've designed us to do. Thank you, God, for the ones that you put into our lives to help. And Jesus, most of all, we just can't wait to be in heaven. I love coming to places like this because you get to see people that you haven't seen. And oh, Jesus, I just imagine that that's what heaven's going to be like. God, keep us pressing on even more fervently as we see the day approach. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.